Let's turn our Bibles to Mark chapter 16. The words will come up on the screen. But it's always good to hear the rustle of the pages, isn't it, of the Word of God. Um, Reuben's reading a book at the moment about Brother Andrew. And uh, in the 1950s, he uh, was in behind the Iron Curtain. And he was in these meetings in Czechoslovakia. And they were holding those that had a Bible were holding them up. And those that had a hymn book were holding them up so that folk around could see. You know, because they didn't have any of that in those days. They, didn't, they had a shortage of the Word of God. And um, so thank God for the Bible tonight. And thank God for the copy that we have. Mark chapter 16, verses 14 to 20. Tonight I'm going to speak on the Great Commission. And I'm going to speak on 10 reasons... Why the Great Commission, sorry, 10 reasons why the Commission is great. Now, before you have a heart attack, I'm only going to spend two or three minutes on each point. Okay, 10 reasons, because if I spend 10 minutes on each one, you can do the math yourself. Uh, 10 reasons why the Commission is great, the Great Commission. Mark chapter 16, verses 14 to 20. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat. And upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized should be saved. And he that believeth not should be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. That's how we know tonight that the Bible is real. Because, as we'll see tonight, God's word is not coming to us only in word only, but in power and in much assurance in the Holy Ghost. The commission that the church has received is not called the ordinary commission. Neither is it called the small commission. And it's certainly not called the optional commission. It is called the Great Commission. Now, I don't know who called it the Great Commission. But I've got ten reasons for you tonight why it is called great. Why it is called great. Herbie was talking to me before the service. And he was talking about his grandson. And... Um, about passing the baton on. We need to pass something on to the next generation, don't we? In our churches. We must be very careful what we do pass on. And thank God what Herbie's passed on is the word of Almighty God. And uh, not to boost him up tonight. But you know, uh, 38 years of service is no small thing, is it? What we are showing the young people is for the work of God to prosper. We need to put our hand to the plow and not look back. Not to say, well, so-and-so doesn't agree with me. I'm off. I'm upset. Somebody didn't speak to me today. No. For 
you know, all those years, we press on and we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Anyway, let's get to the point. Ten reasons why the Great Commission is great. The first reason is, it is given by God. Now, what God gives is great, of course. But it wasn't the disciples meeting together in an upper room, having a little committee meeting. Now, Jesus has gone back to heaven. What are we going to do? They'd already tried going back fishing, and they spent all night. That was a bit of a waste of time, wasn't it? They, they didn't kind of come to a, a, a unanimous vote or a, a majority vote that what they should be doing for the rest of their lives is to go into all the world. No, the commission is great because, number one, it is given by God. Jesus gathered his disciples together, but before he sent it to heaven, and in Matthew's record of it, he declared to them all power in heaven and on earth is given unto me. All authority. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel. We were doing an open air once in Swansea with uh, taking out the students at the Bible College when we were working there on staff for six years in the Bible College of Wales. And somebody came up to me in the street and said, have you got permission to be here? And I said, oh yes. I've got permission to be here. I didn't have to explain to him, but if he had asked the second question, I'd have expounded a little bit more. When we started our open airs in Kefili, Many years ago, I went to the police station to inform them that we'll be having an open air on Good Friday. They looked so disinterested, I never went back. So that's good, isn't it? Thank God for the freedoms we still have in this country. But the commission is great because it's given by God. He said, all power is mine. Go you and teach all nations. All nations. But what about those nations that won't welcome you? What about those nations that are following a false God? What about those nations that say there is no God? Jesus said he has authority over them all. Teach all nations. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded. You see, God himself has given this work to the church. That's why it's great. Therefore, because God has given us this work to do, we should not uh, despise it. And we should certainly not neglect it. God has called the church to proclaim the gospel. That's what God has called us to do. And Paul wrote to a man called uh, Archippus in Colossians 4 verse 17. And can you imagine, he's nearly getting... Are you doing your Bible studies in Colossians? You are, aren't you? I thought I read that earlier on in the newsletter. So when you get to the end, think of this Sunday night. And you, when you get to the end of your Bible studies, because it's the second but last verse in the whole book. Now, you, can you imagine being in the church in Colossae, and the epistle has come from the Apostle Paul from prison, and it's being read to all the congregation there, and just as Archippus is just beginning to doze off or think about something else, all of a sudden he hears, hears his, word, his name. And it's written now in Scripture. And Paul says, and say to Archippus, I don't know what Archippus has been up to, but Paul had heard about it, and he says, and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry that thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Take heed to the ministry that you've received from God, that you fulfill it. You see, God is saying to the church, God is saying to Koi Mine tonight, God is saying to our church in Kefili, and he's saying to the church all around the world, take heed to the ministry that you have received, that you fulfill it. Don't do a half-baked job. Don't deviate from your calling in the Lord. God has called each and every one of us to be involved in the Great Commission. We'll see tonight, I trust by, if you don't know your part, I trust by the end of this service, you'll know 
what God has called you to do. God has called us. Archippus, he's not the first, and he's certainly not the last, to neglect what God had called him to do. Take heed that you fulfill what God has called you to do. The Apostle Paul said to Timothy, 1 Timothy 4.14, Neglect not the gift that is in you. In you through the laying on of hands, he then wrote in 2 Timothy to the same man, Timothy, stir up the gift of God. I mean, that is one of the purposes of preaching, isn't it? On the Lord's day. It's to stir up God's people. Whether, as we heard this morning, to believe God. Whatever you're facing, you can stand upon his word. You can hold on. He'll see you through. Or tonight, you know, to stir us up. To reflect again what God has called us to do as a work of God. Number two. The Great Commission is great because it continues the work of Jesus. Why did Jesus come into this world? What did he do when he came? I'll tell you what he did. He preached the word. And he ministered to the needy. He ministered to them, didn't he? If they were hungry, he fed them. If they were sick, he healed them. If they were lonely, he comforted them. Jesus has given this ministry to the church. And he said in John 14, 12, The works that I do shall he do also. Speaking to his people. And he went on to say, greater works. Because Jesus never went to Britain. He never went to Europe. He never never went to Africa. But today, his people are going all over the world. And thank God for that this evening. You'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you'll be witnesses unto me. You see, the Great Commission is great because it continues the work of Jesus. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have been on earth when Jesus was here? But you see, that ministry has not ceased. That river has not dried up. Thank God, on the day of Pentecost, when they were gathered in an upper chamber, as commanded by the risen Lord, as they were waiting for the endowment of power, because Jesus said, don't you leave until you're endued with power. And they were endued with power, and they went forth, doing what God called them to do. Number three, the Great Commission is great because it unites the body of Christ. It unites the body of Christ. Now, there are certain people, they want to be united with you, but they want to be united on a wrong platform. They want to be jailed together on a wrong basis. But, you know, we can join with those who preach the cross of Christ. We can join with those that preach the true gospel. And the Apostle Paul was able to write to the Philippian believers from jail, In Philippians 1 verse 5, and thank the Lord for them, praying for them, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Have you ever been involved in a ministry from the first day it began? Now that's a challenge, isn't it? Thank God for the young people that God is raising up, even here, to go forth and to serve the Lord. And it's a great privilege to stand behind individuals who have a heart to serve the Lord. And you have a bit of history with them, don't you? 
and you pray with them and you pray through them, those early stages where it's so difficult to start and they need your prayer and they need your support from the first day until now. Paul says, I thank God for the fellowship in the gospel from the first day. From the first day. And he writes, writes that in Philippians 1.27, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now there's lots of things that individual believers disagree with in church life. I know that because I've been a pastor for many years. Thank God for the people of God. But we don't always agree, do we? We don't always agree. You always agree, do you? You're looking so angelic looking back at me. But there is one thing that we must agree on. And it is this. Philippians 1.27 That you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's worth striving for. That's worth standing for. That this church and every other evangelical church in Great Britain should stand for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If there's any other message, people's lives are not going to be changed. There's going to be no transformation unless the gospel is continued to be declared. No, thank God. I've said the Great Commission is great because it unites the body of Christ. We thank God we can be one together in the Lord, can't we? But we're one with those you know, who are also preaching the same gospel in another part of Britain. And the ministries that you support from this place. And then you think what you do in supporting a pastor, for example, for the last few years. In India, 5,000 miles away, you're one with that dear brother in one spirit, in one mind, striving together for the furtherance of the gospel. You're one with the work there in Romania, or whatever it might be. It unites the body of Christ. You see, the Lord of the harvest releases laborers into his harvest in answer to prayer. And we stand with those laborers and we're united with them. We're united in prayer. We take an interest in what they're doing. We support them so they don't have to come back from the field through a lack of support. This is heaven's will for the church on earth. Let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That we are of one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's worth fighting for, isn't it? That's worth standing for. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth reason why the commission is called great is because it plunders the kingdom of darkness. You see, something happens when the light is switched on in a dark place. And uh, it's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, where the Apostle Paul says, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the true and the living God. He's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, Peter said. He said, you turn from idols to serve the living God. Nine years ago, we went to India for the first time, nine and a half years ago. And the boys were very small, three and Seth was 11 months old. And on the 
second week on the Friday night, we were outside one of the EWM churches where they put up a big screen and showing a, a gospel film, Tamil film. And then we arrived and we had to preach the gospel for about 25 minutes through interpretation. And then Pastor John wasn't in the country at the time because of some problems that he was having. And he'd given instruction for the translator to give the appeal so that I wasn't thrown in jail, which I was quite glad about that. But be, before I began to preach, and it was like in a very dark little side street, and they put up these lights powered by generators, very bright lights. And there's a big mat, and people sat on the floor, and behind that they were sat on plastic chairs, and then it was all into the darkness. And people were coming out of their homes, and they had fire inside um, coconut shells, and they were smashing these coconut shells outside their homes to ward off evil spirits in one of the Hindu festivals because they were so terrified of evil spirits. And then we began to preach the gospel. And the microphone was turned loud. And people began to come out of their homes and they began to hear what Jesus can do in a life. And we gave the appeal and Folk came to the Lord and gave the appeal for, for prayer for the sick. And a dear lady had come out of the darkness, out of her home. She, was, she had not responded to the gospel call, but she responded to prayer for healing. Old lady she was. She came down to the front. She waited her, her turn in the queue. Asked the translator, what is her problem? And her problem was blindness in her right eye. I thought, oh Lord... <laughs> Have you ever prayed for somebody that's blind? I hadn't before in my whole life. And the Spirit of God just stirred me to put the palm of my hand on her left eye, a good eye, to cover her from seeing from a good eye. Told her to close her eyes. We prayed. Because they lay hands on the sick. We've read it tonight. And they recover in the mighty name of Jesus. All being translated. Blind eye be opened. And you know, God did a miracle. Instantaneously, she could see me through a good eye. I kept my palm on her left eye. And I held up different fingers. I said, how many fingers can you see? And she rushed off. Off she went to bring her neighbor for for prayer. The Saturday night, we went out for a meal. We were towards the end of the trip. That night, I was so ill. The only time I'd been ill in India. I won't describe it for you because we're in church. Sunday morning we were in a different church. I said to the driver, drive slowly. And we went over these rocky roads to another church. We preached. The windows weren't even in the church. It was under construction. But down the road, across town, in Chennai, this lady, now seeing through both her eyes, went to the church service. And the pastor preached the gospel. Gave an appeal. And she turned to her family, who she brought with her, 17 family members. And they all stood up and they gave their lives to Christ. Now that wouldn't happen if the Lord hadn't touched her. You see, you turned from your idols to serve the living God. Why is the commission great? Because it plunders the kingdom of darkness. Thank God for that tonight. We don't need to be afraid of darkness. Because the light within us is greater. 
He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Number five, why is the commission great? Because it gives great, great value to otherwise ordinary lives. I was joking really about many mornings, wasn't I? But the mundane things of life, each week can be very similar, can't it? And of course, I have to say before I explain this point, we are of greater value to God than what we do. I mean, we don't increase our value to God by our service. He doesn't love us anymore because you've come tonight. I'm glad you've come tonight. I mean, why stay at home? It's the Lord's day, isn't it? So I'm glad you've come tonight. We want to be in the house of God because we have a desire to be here. We haven't been compelled. We haven't been forced. We want to come to be in the house of God, to fellowship with one another and to encourage one another. on with the Lord. So the Lord doesn't love us more because we've come. He loves us because of His love. His love is eternal. I love you with an everlasting love. But, now we're saved. Now we're serving the Lord. We have to do the ordinary things. We all have to do that. But because our lives, through our prayer, through our support, and through our going, our lives become precious. They become valuable because we're linked into a great task. I mean, perhaps you're retired now. And those working years are behind you. But what you do for the Lord is yet in front of you. Your reward is out of this world. The Philippians, what I've mentioned tonight, that were with the Apostle Paul from the first day, At one point, they were the only church that was supporting the Apostle Paul financially. Philippians 4.15. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, remember that call he had come over to Macedonia and help us? That's the gospel coming to Europe. No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but you only. They were the only church. Are you the only church to support an individual or a particular mission? Men, I can speak of our church. We're the only church in Great Britain that is supporting certain individuals in certain parts of the world, in the Philippines, and this, that, and the other. We're the only church. Others, of course, are supporting them from different countries. I can say the pastor that the church supports in India, you're the only church in the whole wide world that's supporting him. The only one. What a great privilege. You see, it adds great value to otherwise ordinary lives. God has great plans for each and every one of us. Jeremiah 29, 11. God has plans. They're concerning our future. And they're concerning His work. I know the plans, the thoughts I think towards you. I'm glad God's got a plan. I'm not turning up tonight and saying, I've got a plan. I don't turn up to our church. I've got a plan. I'm talking about the Great Commission tonight. His plan. And His plan is wonderful. It places great value on each and every life that will be linked in to this vital role that God has given to the church. The Great Commission. Number six. Why is the commission great? Number six. It helps 
individual believers not to be individualistic. Not to be individualistic. That's a posh word for saying selfish. You see, 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, And he died for all, why? That they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. It helps the individual believer not to be individualistic. You see, it's very easy to just fall into looking at the work of God from your own individual perspective. How does it affect me? You know, there are thousands of Christians probably in the country that come to church every week only to get out what they can get out of it. Not to contribute. Not to exercise a gift. The Apostle Paul says, when we come together... Let's exercise the gifts that God's given us. One as a psalm, one as a song, an interpretation, you know, a word from God. Let's, let's have some Holy Ghost meetings, he said. Let's, let's come and let's contribute. Let's share together. And it's very sad that so many believers and even churches have become individualistic. Inward looking, how does it only affect me? But the Great Commission gets us looking out. And it causes us to work with others. It causes us to look beyond our individual lives. The founder of the WEC Missionary Society, the great missionary C.T. Studd's motto was, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Ah, but C.T. Studd, you're you're a skilled, gifted cricketer. Your father's just left you a fortune. Live in the limelight. Live in luxury. But he says, oh no. I'm off to Asia. And then he went to Africa. And he blazed a trail. And he went where none had gone before. And our missionary lecturer at Bible College, he served with him. A very humble man called David Davis. David and Ann Davis. They saw revival, they saw the blessing of God, and they saw much persecution too. But you see, it helps us, this Great Commission helps us not to be individualistic. You see, we're facing a task unfinished. The Great Missionary Hymn goes, isn't it? That drives us to our knees. And say, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do I fit in to this great work of the Great Commission? Number seven, why is the commission great? It brings the answer to man's desperate need. It brings the answer to the desperate need of man. What is the answer to man's desperate need? What is the answer? Why is man in such a condition? In that great book of Romans concerning the gospel and what it means and why man needs the gospel. In Romans 3, verse 17, this is the need of man. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, 
It says to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may be guilty before God. What is the need of man? The need of man is they don't have peace with God. They don't have the fear of God in their eyes. And man is a lawbreaker. They've broken God's holy law. And the problem is he can't save himself. The next verse says, Romans 3.20, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the Lord is knowledge of sin. The law just tells us that we are sinners. Thou shalt not, this, that, and the other, and we've done it. But thank God for the next verse. Romans 3.21 But now, but now, you see, this is the great thing about the gospel. This is the great thing about the great commission. We have a message that is the answer to the desperate need of man. It's not a self-improvement message. You know, a New New Year's resolution message. Try harder. You know, eat this. Go without that. Do your best. We know that fails. It's not a a self-promotional message that you can change. The power is within you. The power is not in them to change until they become a believer. Then the power comes within them. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith. In other words, you can receive God's righteousness. You can be right with God by faith, not by what you do, keeping the law, because someone has already kept the law for you. His name is Jesus. He kept it perfectly, and he is willing to give your perfect record to you. Remember when you went home from school with your school report, and you wanted to swap with the swat of the class? Do you remember? Or the parents' evenings where you stayed at home in dread, wondering what the teachers were saying about you. And you've got to feel sorry for me. I've, both my parents were teachers. Can you imagine? I felt that wave of sympathy. <clears throat> but just imagine, they weren't willing to swap their record with you. But Jesus has lived a perfect life. And is willing to take your unrighteousness. And cleanse it away by his precious blood. And give you, give you his righteousness. So you can stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. How do you receive that? He says, by faith. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Man is so fallen. We, have, we don't have a desire naturally to seek the Lord. But all of a sudden, he's made a way. He's provided for the salvation for all have sinned. For sure to the glory of God, being justified freely By his grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Why is the the commission great? Because it brings the answer to the desperate need of man. What is the answer? The answer is the gospel. That's the answer. It's the gospel. Thank God we have the answer. There are currently three billion people on planet earth, at least, who've never heard the answer. They've never heard the gospel. And how are they going to hear unless the church of Jesus Christ makes it their priority to send out the gospel? Apparently, those that are into the figures, in the West, the most important task of the church is receiving less than 1% of all church finances. Less than 1% of getting this great 
gospel out. Sending this great commission to the uttermost parts of the earth. There was a great preacher called Oswald J. Smith. He wrote many, many great books. Tremendous books. If you get any of his books, they're wonderful books. And he wrote a wonderful book called The Challenge of Missions. His church in Toronto went on to give millions of dollars. We're talking the 1940s and 50s. To world mission. They supported scores of missionaries all over the world. And every year, they would make a mission commitment in their church. And every single member of the church was required to make a mission commitment. And they'd write down. They didn't perhaps have the money, but they'd write down, by faith, this year, I commit to give so much to the church's missionary endeavors. See, what if you can't pay by the end of the year? The deacons will not go around knocking on your door saying, no, come, what, what have you, you haven't fulfilled your promise. He would say this. If you can't pay, just give your reason to God between you and God. But at the beginning of every year, that's how they would start the year. And, you know, that's how they could support so many missionaries. And he would say this. If we give the same as last year, we are saying we want the work of God in the world to stay as it is. If we give less than last year, we are saying we want the work of God to retract, to diminish. Only if we give more are we saying we want the work of God to advance in the world. Now, I don't know. I have absolutely no idea what the finances are like in this church. And I'm out of my own pulpit today, so I'm free. But I can say this. For the last, I don't know how many years, it was going to be the year that Pandy Lane was going to run out of money. But the funny thing is, I should be preaching to the treasurer. The funny thing is, we haven't run out of money. Praise God. Now, it's not that we give less. Because you won't save by giving less. But he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. He who scatters will also gather. You see, that's the work of God, isn't it? Investing in lives. Investing in the next generation. Investing in those who are going where we've never gone before. If you'll allow me to digress... I've been banging on about this a little bit today. 30 minutes ago, we went to India. On our our departing Sunday, the church council, that's our diagonal, you know, we're having a little kind of quiet meeting at the front of the church without me. I was having my cup of tea. And what they were discussing is what to give us for the mission trip. Now, we'd already booked the flights to India, But, you know, we had to pay for all the hotels, the food, and all the restaurants, and the internal flights to fly from the south to the north. And then about four or five days, four days before the, uh, four or five days before the trip, Pastor John emailed and said, you need, um, we need to pay the car hire in the north, and that is going to be X amount of money. And it was a lot of money, because you hire the driver and the fuel and, he was going to be driving us from the airport 
to the hotel, which was four hours, and then in West Bengal, then into Assam, three hours in, three hours out every day. So it was going to cost 1200 to hire the car and the driver. And then he was going to pay to hire the other cars, a two-vehicle convoy. And um, we didn't say anything to anybody. We said, you know, we'll, we'll just, you know, look to the Lord and we'll be okay. And, and the Lord moved on a couple's heart and they, they gave us 800 pounds. I love these now. Praise God. We needed 400 pounds. Anyway, getting back to this little deliberation, the, the church council. And they ummed in the yard and they, they, and they wrote a check and they came. There you go. Thank you very much. Do you know what the check was for? For exactly 400 pounds. I came back from the mission trip and we shared all the wonderful things that God did. 107, 107 souls saved. Lots and lots of healings. Wonderful things that have been going on. And I said, now. And this, church, the, this is our third trip. I said, you were the last to give to us. You know what's coming, don't you, Alan? I said, next time we go, be the first. Be the first. You see, this is being the answer to the need of man. We're standing with one another. Be the first to send a brother out. Be the first to meet the need. You hear about it, say, oh Lord, I can be involved in that. I can be a part in that. Don't hold back. All to Jesus. I surrender, but, you know. No, be the first. Thank God. We can be the first. I digressed. Number eight. Why is the Great Commission great? Because it is timeless. It is timeless. In brackets, until Jesus comes. But it is timeless. You see, it's the same task. For centuries, it's the same task. It hasn't gone out of fashion. Apart from modern style evangelism. It's gone out of fashion with them. But I have to say... The real gospel I'm talking about now. It's timeless. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. So don't try and you know, dress it up and then kind of trick them into giving their lives to Christ. By the way, guess where you are? No, no. The preaching of the cross is foolishness to them, them that perish. But unto us which are saved is the power of God. Now, why would you want to exchange the power of God for some weak imitation? It is timeless. You see, what God has called us to do, He called the Apostle Paul to do. What God called the Apostle Paul to do, He called Martin Luther to do, and Calvin to do, the great reformers, John Knox and all the rest of them. What God called William Carey to do, and George Whitfield, and John Wesley, and D.L. Moody, and shall we carry on into this century? God has called us to do the very same thing. Not a different task. What a great privilege. You're going to meet them when you get to heaven. Now, don't try and sneak past them in shame because you neglected the gospel and you went on for something else. Because God is preparing an abundant entrance into heaven for you. Second Peter tells you that. Here is so-and-so from Pontypridd. And they were unashamed of the gospel. And through their prayer and through their ministry and through their commitment to that church, we don't know until we get there how many souls 
will be there. But we know that they'll be, they will be there. Because God has said, his word shall not return to him void. But we've been laboring all these years and look at these seats that need to be filled and look, look, look this, that, and the other. We don't know. But I do know this. The Bible says, cast your bread on the water and you'll find it after many days. This gospel is great because it's timeless. Number nine, we're nearly there. Number nine, the gospel is great. The great commission is great, rather, because it helps believers to become like Christ. It helps believers that become like Christ. What was Christ like? What is he like? For God so loved the world. He loved the world. We're talking about the Great Commission taking the gospel where it's never gone before. That's what it means. It might be to a place down the road. It might be to the uttermost part of the earth. But it helps believers become like Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus went looking for sinners. He didn't stay where he was. Oh, Lord, stay here, they said, on one occasion. He said, there are other places. There are other towns. There are other villages. Let's just stay comfortable. No, no. There's somebody else that needs to hear. It helps the believers to become like Christ. Jesus was the one that went forth. Finally, number 10. Why is the commission great? Because obedience to it produces eternal rewards. Obedience to the great commission produces eternal rewards. Do you realize that your prayer is producing reward in heaven? You realize that. That's why it's important to spend some time in prayer. You're giving. You're going. Whatever. However you're involved. You're encouraging. I like to ring up some of the missionaries. You can do that nowadays, can't you? Email them. Skype them for free. It's lovely to hear from home when you're abroad. Or at home. It's producing eternal rewards. Then shall the king say to them on his right hand. What have they done? Oh, they've fed the hungry. They've given water to the thirsty. They've visited those who were in prison. They've gone to see the sick. I mean, in some churches, I feel sorry, but if you get sick, nobody's going to come and visit you. If you go into an old folks' home, nobody's going to come by. I often say to our folk, one day that might be you, not to make me feel depressed, but one day it might be you, and you'll appreciate a visit. You were sick and you came to me. Lord, when was that? We never. He says, when you did it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. You see, the poor and the sick and the leper and the orphan and whoever you're helping in this world, they can't repay you in this life. But you're producing eternal rewards. The Apostle Paul put it this way, we must all appear. Before the judgment seat of Christ. The believer will not appear before the great white throne. Judgment. That's for the unbeliever. But the believer will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Not for entry to heaven. Because that's been paid for by the blood of Jesus. But for our rewards. And every man will receive what is done in the body. Whether good or bad. You'll be rewarded. 
Obedience to the Great Commission produces eternal rewards. We need to remember that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 tells us that. Our work for the Lord will be put through the fire. Now, if it's combustible, it might have impressed people for a short time. Might have been, might have produced some surface results. But the Lord had a view of the lively church in Revelation. Had a reputation of me. I like lively church. Don't misunderstand me now. I'm Pentecostal. I'm not ashamed to shout and to praise the Lord. But I'm talking about manufacturing. That is not the Holy Ghost. That's what I'm talking about. That is going to be burnt out. And I, I say that solemnly. 1 Corinthians 3, 13 and 14. Every man's work should be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, for it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try or shall test every man's work, what sort it is. And if any man's work abide, which is built thereon, he shall receive a reward. He shall receive a reward. So he went on to say, if any man's work shall be burnt, he shall suffer in loss. He himself shall be saved, yet as so by fire. He'd earlier on in the passage said, this is 1 Corinthians 3 verse 10, let every man take heed how he builds thereon, for no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He says, as a master builder, I've laid this foundation. Now he says to the Corinthians, you be careful how you build on it. You be careful. Obedience to the Great Commission produces eternal rewards. Thank God for the heritage of the past. Thank God, as we said earlier, for the service of God's servants in the past. And now as the baton is passed on, we say to each and every one who is serving the Lord now, take heed how you build on the foundation that has been laid. Because what you build will be tested. All you want to hear when you get to heaven concerning what you serve, do for the Lord is this. Well done. Good and dramatic, dynamic. No, well done, good and faithful servants. God's calling came upon your life and you were faithful to it. You were true to it. Whatever people said, whatever, whether people agreed or disagreed, you were faithful to God's calling upon your life. Well done. And you serve me by the power of your Holy, by the power of the Holy Spirit, not in your own strength. You relied on me when things got difficult. You turned to the Lord in prayer. You trusted in me. Well done, good and faithful servants. Obedience to the Great Commission produces eternal rewards. Now, as I close, are you involved in the Great Commission? And it was a church. You're involved in certain ways. And thank God for that. Thank God to come to a church that's missionary minded. But there's always something more that God wants us to do. God has always wanted to stretch our faith. God has wanted us to move forward believing Him. As Jenny a little bit this morning, how we have to believe Him right now. The Great Commission. Why is it great? Why is it not the ordinary, the optional, the small commission? Because it is given by God. It continues the work of Jesus. It unites the body of Christ. It plunders the kingdom of darkness. It gives value 
do otherwise ordinary lives. It helps the individual believer not to be individualistic. It brings the answer, the gospel, to the desperate need of man. It is timeless. It helps the believer become like Christ. And finally, obedience to it produces eternal rewards. Why would the church want to do anything else? Then be involved in this great commission. This great work. Don't take it lightly. Don't do it in your own strength. But let's come now to the Lord as individuals. And let's come as a church. Let's ask God afresh to endure us with power. So that when we go forth to preach this gospel, it won't come in word only. That won't have any impact. But people will know there's something different. When we lay hands on them, when we listen to their burdens and we, we share with them what God has given us a share, something happens. Those of you that will be in the healing rooms this week and praying for the needy people, those of you who will be serving the tables this week as folk come in to be fed, as you serve the Lord where the Lord has placed you in your streets or in your job, whatever you're doing this week, as you take this word to heart, Lord, as we go out into this fallen world, endure us with power afresh because there is no substitute to the power of God at work. So we got in that hired car and we traveled through the mountains and there was a sheer drop down there. I thought, when we come back, we're on that side of the road. Oh, Lord, help us. When we got to the hotel and it was lovely, a nice surprise. And then we travel in to Assam. And we went in the very center of Maoist militia territory. I said to Pastor John, do they know we're here? He said, you wouldn't be here unless they'd been informed. And they paid them for us to be there. And they'd hired the speakers and the big marquee and all the rest of it from the Maoists. Because that's how you have to function. Otherwise, you can't go in. I thought, this is wonderful. I'm holding on to a microphone that belonged to the Maoists. And it's not communist ideology that's coming over the microphone. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They recently said to Pastor John, we've got these needy families. Give us goats to give to them. Pastor John said, oh, no. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll give you goats. But you bring them here. They brought the families. Pastor John gave the families and the militia were standing there the gospel. They gave their lives to Christ. He gave them the goats and they went on the way. We preached the gospel. 30 got saved that Sunday morning. I've told you before, the church doubled in that little village. And there was a lady in the second prayer line. I didn't know about this. They all came forward for prayer. She'd gone to the doctors because she had a growth under her arm so painful and so large that she couldn't put her arm down. She had to hold it on her, her waist. The doctor said, you've got cancer. You need surgery. You need to go all the way to Calcutta for surgery. Calcutta was miles and miles away. It would be seven hours drive to the nearest airport and then another 45 minutes flight. She collects wood in the forest. She, she's not going to be able to afford that. She said, doctor, I've got no, no money. He said, I can't do anything for you. You'd have to go home. 
The marquee being put up. The music was going. They met us at the edge of the village with this loud Christian music. With the guitars and the little drums. They backed all the way into the village. We went to this meeting. We preached the gospel. Folk were coming in. The back, the back of the marquee was open. People would stop. Kind of the main road going through, which is a little track. People came into the meeting. She was going by, this lady. She heard the music. She heard some noise. She came in. Then she sat down. Then she heard the gospel. And then she came forward to give her life to Christ. And then I told them to go back and sit down. And then we gave the call for healing. She came up again. And two long lines. Now normally when you pray for the sick. After you pray for them. They'll go and they'll sit down. And then you'll get to the next group. But we pray for all the front row. They stay where they were. And I thought well what do we do now. And she was thinking in her mind. We heard later. Oh the preacher. He'll never get to me. And I felt prompted to the Lord. I didn't know anything. I didn't even know she had cancer. I didn't even know what her problem was. I didn't even know that she'd been brought in, drawn into the meeting by the Holy Spirit in the middle of the, I didn't know that. I'm just saying that to give all the glory to the Lord. We went behind, we laid hands on all the ones behind. She later testified when she came for baptism, several weeks later, that as she went home, all the pain went. And over the next week, all the growth subsided. And she went to the church. And when Pastor John went and heard the testimonies before they baptized people, she told her story. Pastor John sent her back to the doctors. She went back to the doctors. And the doctor said, wow, you've had the surgery. She said, I've had no surgery. The great physician, Jesus Christ, has healed me. She's won her family to the Lord. Those 30 have now become 90. Think of what the Lord can do. That's why the commission is so great. That's what God can do. We're going to pray. And I just feel prompted today to pray for the sick. We've spoke about it this morning and this evening. Perhaps there's a need in your life. Perhaps you'd like to come for somebody else that can't be here tonight. And we can pray with you. And we can believe God. For with God... All things are possible. Let's just bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of serving you. We thank you, Lord, tonight that what you've called us to do is not ordinary, but you've called us on eternal business. You've made us ambassadors of the King of Kings, unworthy and insignificant though we may feel in ourselves. And yet, Lord, you've given us this great task. But you've not left us alone. You've said, surely, I will be with you. Even to the ends of the earth. Heavenly Father, tonight I pray for this church. I pray for the members. I pray for the diagonal. I pray for the elders. I pray for the pastor. And the youth pastor. Father, I pray, Lord, that you will bless them afresh. With this great vision. Lord of glory itself and of what you have called this church to be. We thank you for calling us to serve you. We thank you for such a privilege. Help us in the coming weeks and months and should you tarry years that lie ahead. Help us to serve you in the fullness of the Holy Ghost. And I pray that you will send a 
great moving of your spirit so that folk in this district will hear what you are doing and they'll be drawn in because they hear of what you are doing in this place. That there's a savior, there's a healer, there's a deliverer in this house and his name is Jesus. We pray that you will stretch forth your hand. Even now, Lord, as we pray over the sick and those that can't be here tonight, that you'll touch them in their hospital bed or wherever they might be tonight in their homes. Lord, that you'll stretch forth your hand to heal and to deliver. We ask it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.